And then it came time for me to actually put on my first staff member. And I was petrified, absolutely petrified that I would be responsible for the wage of someone else. Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. Unique perspectives, practical insights, and unexpected discoveries directly focused on giving you the unfair advantage. Introducing your hosts, Nadia Hughes and Terence Toe. Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. I'm Terence Toe. I'll be one of your co-hosts today from Strategic Corporation, and I've got with me Nadia today? Yes, I'm Nadia. I'm from Unfair Advantage Accounting and I'm very happy to be here. Today I have an honor to introduce our guest. Usually Terence does this, but today this is a lucky day. It's the first podcast in a year. I'm going to make an introduction of a founder of KWD, entrepreneur and a single mom. For me, she's just this very beautiful woman, Kate Walker, one and only. Thank you for having me today. Welcome, Kate. Thank Welcome. You. Nadia, thanks for the introduction today. Did a great job. Yes, I almost <laughs> you know, done it. You don't need to know that. <laughs> yeah. So, actually, a cool question that I like to ask sometimes. I don't ask this to everybody, so you'll be a bit special. How would you describe what you do without using your job title? What do I do? I'm a jack of all trades. Yeah. Possibly master of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I spend my day working with things that I absolutely adore and love, which is interior design. And I also work with people that I love and adore as well, which is my team that I've created around me. So I feel very lucky every day to be able to spend time with incredible people working on beautiful projects. Okay, Kate, I'm just going to talk to you about your business. What I liked when we had this preliminary quick discussion in our couloir is you told me you outsourced your weaknesses or you employed your weaknesses and you really not a designer by trade. I would like to zoom into this and elaborate a bit more. Well, when you call your business KWD, which stands for Kate Walker Design, people expect that you are a designer. In fact, it's been a source of a lot of, I guess, personal debate for myself because I'm not trained as, an, as a designer. I didn't go to university. But what I do have is an immense amount of passion for what I do. And passion is something that you can't train. You can't go to a university and learn passion. You can't go to a university and learn vision. It's intrinsically in you. And that's what I have. The design interest for me came from being a very little girl. My mother was an interior decorator who in my mind's eye is still the best interior decorator that I know. She's got an incredible eye. She never really ran a business per se from it, but she could have been very successful. And also, too, my family business is National Tiles, so I cut my teeth in the tile industry. So hard finishes, you know, being tiles, timber, stone, is what I know and what I'm really comfortable with. And so the interior design part of it came from me realising that there was a huge gap in the market for very busy people that wanted to put a whole concept together. So when I worked back behind the counter at National Tiles, you know, many years ago, I was there for 15 years, I worked in the commercial sector, I worked in the retail sector, people would come to me and say, look, you know, Kate, what tiles should I use? I'd help them with that and try and sell them the tiles. 
And then these people kept coming back to me saying, oh, can you just check that that works with the timber and can you check that that works with the carpet? And so inadvertently I was doing whole concepts for houses when I could only actually monetize the tile section. So I quickly became to realize that there was a huge gap in the market for someone to pull that whole story together. So when I left National Tiles six years ago now, my brother, who's actually the CEO of National Tiles, said to me that this will be the best thing that you'll ever do because it will give you the independence that you're seeking, plus you'll be able to work on your passion, and I think you'll make a great success of it. And the next very successful move you have made, you said to, you, to me you employed your weaknesses. I want to zoom in a bit more. Okay, I'm now on my own. Mm-hmm. What your first thought was? Oh, well, my first thought when I first got my Vistaprint business card. Vistaprint? It <laughs> said Kate Walker Design. Like I didn't even think about the name and what the implications were at that point. I just need to get something to hand to someone. Again, these words, something to hand to someone. This is every entrepreneur who started business. <laughs> I use these words as well. <laughs> well, I, I sort of almost felt like a fraud in a way because I thought, well, You know, I, I actually studied speech pathology at university. Oh, please don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. Um, along with commerce and science. So I had all of this different background, but I think the study, and I always say to people that study in any field is not a waste of time, even if you don't end up practicing. But I, I had some business acumen obviously handed down from my father and my brother in particular, and... I had this passion, so I thought, I'm just going to put myself out there. And I started softly by just doing what I had always done. So I went to clients that I knew selling a product that I knew, which was tiles and stone. And tiles and stone for me are in my blood. I think we're third-generation tiles in our family. So we've eat, breathed, and slept this product. I mean, I started working national tiles when I was 12, you know, coding all the tiles and that sort of thing. So... If that was in my blood, it's what I felt comfortable with. But I remember going to my very first appointment with my new Vistaprint card and I dressed up, I put the red lipstick on and I went in there and I closed 15 units worth of tiles in one appointment. I thought to myself, wow, I don't need to share this profit with anyone. And I think I could actually make a real business of this. So I think having success early with that first appointment gave me the confidence to back myself and start expanding my offering, which was the plan in the first place because I didn't call myself Kate Walker Tiles or what have you and I certainly wasn't going to go up against the juggernaut which National Tiles is and I certainly didn't see myself advertising on radio. <laughs> I needed to create my own identity outside my family whilst using all of the intellectual data I guess I had learning what I learned in that business, which was you know, extraordinary to be exposed to so many elements of the business, being managing staff, showroom fit-outs, procurement and even management too. It taught me a lot. So I used bits of those skills, um, you know, from each different pocket to create Kate Walker Design. But I won't sugarcoat it. It was just me in my little Mazda with tiles in the back of my car You know, wearing clothes at the time that I couldn't afford because I wanted to look nice and present well because it's always about the presentation, that first impression. You don't get very long to make 
someone feel comfortable with you and want to have that conversation with you. So I did put a lot of effort into personal presentation and personal branding. And I went out and I sold tiles out of the back of my car. And it was scary, but then all of a sudden these orders started to come in and I had a huge success rate early. And then it came time for me to actually put on my first staff member and I was petrified, absolutely petrified that I would be responsible for the wage of someone else. I will be responsible (laughs) for the wage of someone else. Mm. I lie late in bed that night when I went on my own and thinking, this is what I have to Their wage comes first. Correct. Their wage comes first. I didn't sleep first night before oh, I opened the door. I haven't slept for six years. Oh, my <laughs> so it started off, I employed a very dear friend of mine as my PA because I knew what I was doing with the selling of the tiles. I didn't need help with that. I needed help being efficient and effective. And that comes from administration. And creative types generally are not very strong in administration. So the first person I employed, Jenny, and she's still with us today, was, I guess she inherited piles and piles and piles of paperwork to go through. And she sorted my life out, which meant that I could actually focus on running the business, which is where I needed to put my energies in to to make it a success. And so I started her off on two hours a week. And I thought, well, I can deal with two hours a week. And then within weeks, she was um, permanent part-time. It became very evident that I needed more support. So then came another friend who I trusted. So I actually employed a lot of friends. And some people might say that's a good thing. Some people might say that's a bad thing. But I knew the character of these people. And so knowing the character of someone you know that they're going to do the right thing by you. Whether they're good at their job or not, um, at that stage was relatively inconsequential. I needed people around me that I could trust. And I knew I could teach the skills that I needed to get from them. It's also energy. You want to be surrounded by people whom you want to propel with. Absolutely. You you don't want to be surrounded with drug you don't. Absolutely. I understand it's so... You speak the same language and it's amazing because I had the same notion. I I said to myself, I'm going to be in this business and I will spend more time on the floor than I will spend with my family. Mm-hmm. Whom do I want to be surrounded by? Mm-hmm. And they say the character of the person now will be shaped by five people you spend the most time with. Correct. Correct. And I'm, I'm actually doing some journal entry at the moment on exactly that. And I'm, I'm analyzing who the five people that I spend my time with. And maybe someone will get the cut this week. <laughs> because, you know, when you sit down, you analyse it, it's, it's, it's true. But, <laughs> but I really, for me, one of the successes of, of this very young and fledgling business, we're only six years old and I still feel like a fledgling business, has been my people, have been the team. And, and I'm very proud of the culture that I've created in the business it's something that, you know, coming from a very big business that employed sort of 500 staff um, and watching my brother, a CEO, take over and create an incredible culture, I took a lot of notes from that and I've instilled that in my own business. Now, notes, I want a bit of notes. Please share mm-hmm. because culture is everything. 
It's everything. It, it's from the moment you come to the office mm-hmm. to the moment you leave home, mm-hmm. this culture is good. And then when you're home as well, it will be penetrating everything, all aspects of your life, because it just becomes part of you. So what is it about culture? It's so important. How would you describe what culture is? Oh, culture for me is people being happy in their workplace that makes them want to achieve for the business and to have a culture where people are supported because we all go through issues, whether they be work issues or home issues, um, family issues, physical issues, illness issues. Like every life doesn't stop in the workplace. Your life continues. I've created an environment where I've employed, and I, I don't want to say I'm, you know, that this is a, an employment prerequisite because it's not, but 90% of the people that work for me are working mothers. And I saw a huge gap in the market for employing working mothers. And I've got to tell you, being a working mother myself and a single mother myself, and in my business I have two other single working mothers, that if anyone can get up in the morning, get two children ready for school, at school on time with a lunchbox, with fresh food in it, with the sports bag, the basketball, the ballet shoes, everything there, and be at their desk by 9 o'clock, they're a hero. You know, they do a whole day's work of a non-working mother. Not that I'm putting non-working non-working mothers down at all. Because I, I would take... put non-working mothers down. I take my hat off to them too because it's a job that I didn't have the patience for because I was always going to work because I, I, I'm entrepreneurial. I, I have to build something. But these women, and myself included, we get up, we've run the marathon and we come to work at 9 o'clock and we're not here having a coffee, having a chat. It's like I've already done the marathon, I'm here. I'm ready to go and the amount of work these women get through in their day is insane. Kate, please come to my office and meet my working mothers so they can talk to you more working mothers. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, we'll have a party, champagne <laughs> yes. party. We like champagne. Martini. <laughs> I discovered martini in my trip. Uh, oh, really? I never had it. Do you know that martini is actually wine, not, uh, not a spirit? Oh, really? I didn't know that. No, martini is a wine... Infused with herbs. Oh, I like a gin martini myself. (laughs) We have a bar at KWD. It's it's, sometimes they lock it on me, but uh, (laughs) we do we do like a drink and we serve our clients drinks as well. I have to pick this one because (laughs) uh, I don't even have glasses. (laughs) You have to sip from the bottle. But you know, this culture that I've created is one where I give my team the ultimate flexibility. So with young children, there's sporting days, there's, you know, drama days, there's presentations in assemblies, and my protocol has been to say yes to all of those. So at any one week, I could have four or five team members out doing things with their children at school. But what that has done is it's bred so much loyalty back to me. And if I give my team one hour off, I can guarantee you they'll give me two back because they appreciate the fact that they're not, you know, they're working mothers, yet they're still being the mother. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. So in doing that, and that's one of the reasons why I was happy to be out on my own because my father was old school. You get at your desk at 6.30 in the morning and you leave at 6 o'clock at night and, 
And at that time, when my children were one and three, I was newly single and that didn't work for me and it didn't work for my children. So I wanted to create an environment where I could be malleable and I could be where I felt in my heart I needed to be at the time. This is very modern and this is what it's about. I agree with you. Mothers give you 120%. Mm-hmm. I'm an accountant. It's shame on me. There is no such a thing, 120, but there is mm-hmm. with mothers. And I find this, the more we will adapt to, and meet people needs, the more they will give us back. I feel it every day. Mm-hmm. Gratitude mm-hmm. is there. And ability. What I do see in this, those women is they come together like a community of women to raise their children and they compare the notes. Mm-hmm. We all mm-hmm. had sleepless night and when mm-hmm. my Recently, one of my team members came and she said, I'm running today on coffee. Everybody understood. One is just gone straight to the coffee machine and made her coffee mm. because we knew exactly what she went through. Mm. Her son had coffee all night. That's what we do. Like We walk in, we take one look at our faces and we say, okay, well, Claire needs a hug today because she's had a crappy night with her kids or with her husband or whatever it is. Uh, we are so supportive of one another. We know when each other needs a hug and... But the thing I've always said to the girls is I'm not running a mother's club. So there is no chit-chat. It's, yeah. it's, this it's, is important. Yeah, it's heads down, bum up. There is a time for us. There's a time for work and there's a time for chatting and we have plenty of parties and, you know, we have plenty of Friday night drinks and, you know, we, we have incredible team building events where we go away for weekends and that sort of thing but when we work we work and we work really hard and I'm a hard taskmaster I've been told in the past that my expectations are very high but to be honest I don't apologize for that because I expect excellence of myself and anyone that gets a seat on the KWD bus needs to know that that's what I expect you know no one will die wondering what I'm thinking because I will tell them. (laughs) (laughs) Particularly women can sometimes be very sensitive, so you need to manage that. And and I say, oh, I'm not sure whether you're happy with what I'm doing or how I'm doing. I said, keep going until I tell you I'm not happy, and I will tell you. So I spend probably an hour a week with, not with every member of the team, but an hour a week in the uh, process of having what I call robust discussions. Robust discussions. Robust discussions. Talk about robust discussions. A a robust discussion for me is where I sit with someone and I I preface it by saying, I'm going to have a robust discussion with you, meaning I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel about how you're performing right now. This is not a personal attack. This is all about your work and this is what I'm going to do to support you to get a better result. And whilst we're all friends, it can be sometimes challenging to remove the friendship and the workplace. But in investing in these robust discussions, they always end well. They always end with a hug, always. We're very tactile, okay, WD. (laughs) I can sit down with someone and say, for example, Megan, I love the way you're doing this. Keep that up. I don't like the way you're doing this. This is my advice for how we could possibly change it and I want you to come back to me and let me know how that's going. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 
We talked earlier about we got sidetracked about employing my weaknesses. I've employed all of these people as experts in what they do because, as I said, you know earlier, jack of all trades, master of nothing. I kind of feel that I'm really, I guess, a conductor in an orchestra, and I'm keeping everyone moving. So it's, at times, sometimes I feel like I actually don't do any work. All I'm doing is making sure that the moving parts are all moving in the right direction and in the right sequence. And when you feel like you don't do any work, do you feel like there is a sweat streaking <laughs> yes. down your shirt? Yes. I do the same. It's just done nothing, but I'm all sweaty like yes. a horse. Yes, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm interested because you've you know, grown. You said you've grown from a, a team of well, Me. just yourself, yeah. to a team of fifteen mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. and that's been fairly rapid growth. Mm-hmm. And for for someone listening to this. You might think, okay, well, that's that's fine. You know, we've, we've been we've talked about growth. You know, is was there a particular order? And you said that you've, you you also employed your weaknesses, but mm-hmm. was there a because you're the creative? Is mm-hmm. that right? That's right. So was there a particular order then? If you're the creative, mm-hmm. what was your order of of bringing on new team members to be able to support you? Mm-hmm. Uh, what were the things that you looked at first? Mm-hmm. And then I've got another follow up question. Let's start there. Okay, so. Basically, I employed my severe weaknesses, which is administration and organisation. So my brain, I sort of lived through time, not on time. So I needed someone to keep me on track to make sure I had everything that I needed every day to be effective in front of clients. So we would make more money by me being in front of people and talking to people. So I've got a mobile phone and a computer of which I rarely use either. My clients know not to ring me because I'm always in front of someone. And when I'm in front of someone, I never answer my phone. I'm 100% focused on that person because I believe that that's where you get the best result and that person feels um, supported, understood and heard. And that's, you know, the basis of a sale if you feel all of those things. And it's the basis of a good relationship. Absolutely. So I need people behind the scenes to basically mop up after me and I have this vision of you know the little half brush of, of my team coming behind me mopping up all of the the bombs that I create and plant because you know I'm in front of clients like my hands are going I've got all these great ideas and then I get out of there and think how the hell are we going to make this happen and this team come in behind me like a SWAT team and they literally take everything that I do in that meeting and make it happen so We've got a business rule where I'm not allowed to go to a meeting alone anymore. I didn't make that rule. My team made that rule because they were sick of, you know, trying to get out of my head what happened in that meeting because I'm already on to the next thing. And so the download from my head was a really important um, aspect for our growth and for our clients to be satisfied with Are the service. Are you allowed to record your meetings? Uh, we could possibly, but they go for two, three, four hours. Like to listen back to that would be... There is a wonderful transcript program. Oh, is there? Yes, you can put it in. Yes. We'll talk about that. That's right. Keep going. We've got got lots of of technological tips for you. Yeah, thank you. Because I'm a technological noob. (laughs) So I've employed someone that's good on the technology. So Kelly, make sure our email system's right. and, And actually, that's one thing that I did do very early. Having come from a big business that had great systems... I started a very small business and ran it like a big business. 
started very small business and run it like a big business. This is the secret of KWD success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is entire thing. I think that's where, apart from also culture, culture is important. Culture is huge. The team has to be number one. But culture is is a massive driver of larger businesses, right? I mean, yeah. I really want to talk about systems. What did you take? I want to know because a lot of people go out there. All they do is just replicate the same things they have before, mm-hmm. as they just employ themselves. That's mm-hmm. all they done. They buy themselves a job. That's exactly the essentially. Point. Yes. And I didn't want to buy myself a job because, you know, I work seventy hours a week every week, and I don't want to work seventy hours a week for the rest of my life. So, I needed to create a system whereby. I can essentially be duplicated and triplicated and that was really difficult. So we spent quite a bit of time and energy. Well, we didn't. I shouldn't say we. I didn't. Kelly did because that's her area of expertise. Investigating systems for customer management because essentially when you're in sales, which is which is what we are, we're in sales that's fluffed up with design, we needed to keep track. We needed to give excellent customer service. And, and one thing I learned very early on in the piece back in, in National Tiles days was the most powerful sales position you can put yourself in is that you are ringing a client when they are thinking they need to ring you. Wow. So if you can get yourself in that sweet spot. You are ringing the client when they're thinking they want to ring you. Correct. Correct. I heard it put a little bit differently to that, and that is talking about sales and talking about marketing. Mm-hmm. We need to enter the conversation that's already happening in the mind of our prospect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's. I think we're talking about the same thing, is that right? We are, and so when how we, do you get yourself in this position? So when you meet a client at a time in the absence of time pressure, the absence of budget pressure, that's when you make your best decisions whether that's whether choosing a tile or whether it's choosing when to call a client back or when to follow them up. So at the end of every meeting, I would send a, a note back to the team. And we used to start with, you know, these sheets that I never filled out properly, you know, handwritten things. And then we went to dictaphones. So, you know, I'd have to speak into my phone and then send off that transcript to, to someone in the office. Well, that never happened because I was driving to the next appointment because I'd run over time because I'm creative and I was running late. <laughs> so... And that's when we started to take someone with me to every meeting and they kept fully documented notes of, of everything that I was promising. But I would say at the end of the meeting in the car to Claire generally, who's my general manager, I'd say we need to call them in three and a half weeks because that gives them a time to go home, digest what we've said, speak to the husband, speak to the wife, speak to the bank, see if they can get the money and then we'll call them. Now when we call them at exactly three and a half weeks, Without word of a lie, majority of the time I say, I was about to call you. You saved me the phone call. So already you're in sync with them and already you're in the headspace where they're saying, these guys know what I want and they understand my time pressure, they understand my project. And so just them feeling understood is so powerful. You just calculated precisely the cycle of client readiness to have a conversation where they're ready to commit. Mm-hmm. 
and you've done it based on your experience mm-hmm. you have had. Mm-hmm. So this is important because a lot of people do premature solicitation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people do. They bother the client mm-hmm. they, and they lose the sale instantly. Mm-hmm. If you were to call within three days when they're completely not ready, they mm-hmm. haven't had the conversation, mm-hmm. it would turn into these flies they want to swap. Oh, and it becomes like a sales call. And our whole ethos at KWD is not about sales. It's actually about a solution. So... You know, to, to have a, a business, you've got to give all the business that's, that's going to fly. You've got to create a solution for someone when often they don't know that they've got the problem. So for us, to put together a full design solution for very busy people, because, you know, we know our ideal client type and our ideal client type, dual income, a couple of kids, working to do a renovation or a build that they possibly can't afford and they're really stretching themselves to do so and they want to engage professionals because whilst they have an idea of what they might like to do, they don't trust themselves to make these huge decisions because you can't just change tiles because you mucked it up. You can't just change timber flooring because you made a mistake on the colour. They want that validation from someone in the know that their thought process and their design direction is right. So people are paying us basically to give them validation and we offer a lot in that as well. You know, we certainly make spaces look absolutely beautiful and that's because we now have an incredible design team, which I'm the head of, but I don't do a lot of the designing. I I do the creative direction and the design team actually do the designing because they are interior designers. So I've employed my weakness. I've employed people that can draw and can design rather than me just having this amazing vision that actually needs to be executed. So, you know, understanding your client type is one thing. Understanding what pressures they may be facing is another. And, you know, we joke with our clients. We say, oh, you know, we also offer marriage counselling on the side <laughs> <laughs> because the amount of arguments that we need to dampen down is huge. It's a highly stressful time building. You're creating space they want to enjoy and they have different ideas what each one of them will enjoy. You have to mm-hmm. reconcile it. Always. That's Always. where the counselling comes. Yeah, and, you know, we had some clients in our office only yesterday and, and when they don't agree with each other, they start speaking a different language. And, you know, we're sitting there saying, we can't really help in this situation because we don't know what you're saying to each other. But we do. We, we support our clients through these really big decisions because, you know, building or renovating or moving, they're considered one of the high-stress times in your life, along with death and divorce and, and that sort of thing. But... You know, some people are going through this with death and some people are going through this with divorce. So it's a highly emotive time. So we certainly, our business ethos is to realise our clients' dreams, being their new home or their renovation, with a streamlined and systematic process. And so these ideal client types being two working parents that do not want to go to a tile shop on a Saturday because they're running... Billy and Johnny to soccer training and football training and then on Sunday they're doing kick and, you know, maybe but seeing family. But they also family. have a wisdom to understand it's not their strength. It's not their strength. And and the, the other sort of prerequisite for our ideal client type, and we don't only work for our ideal client type, but the other prerequisite is that they're generally business savvy so they understand what outsourcing is. 
and they understand the value of outsourcing. So, you know, for me, as a single mum, I outsource pretty much everything from cooking to cleaning to window cleaning to bins going out to car washing to dog walking to dog grooming. I outsourced a lot because, you know, I learned a very long time ago that you shouldn't spend time doing something that you can pay someone a lesser amount per hour than what you could be earning if you worked on your business. Comparative advantage opportunity cost. <laughs> Correct. There's Correct. A, saying that a poor man values money yes. and a rich man, poor woman, rich person, <gasps> can't believe I'm being so sexist, uh, values time. Mm. Mm. And it's very true, isn't it? Mm. So where did you gain this wisdom? By watching your parents? Because you said that at some point of time, your family actually had to run your their own household in a time of recession as a business. Mm-hmm. Where did you learn this skill? Because a lot of people hold in con to not outsourcing uh, parenting, for example, ah. not outsourcing dog I'd, I'd, because I'd love to outsource parenting often <laughs> <laughs> with teenagers in the house, <laughs> um, but unfortunately that's difficult. <laughs> I learned this way. In 1990-91, there was a huge recession and my father owned a very successful business in Geelong and and it was very hard um, felt in Geelong because it was a pyramid building society that collapsed that sort of started the domino effect and being in the building industry in Geelong was a disaster. So tile sales blew up overnight and my dad, he had to go back to doing what he knew best and he got this advice from his father to get out and get in his ute and fill his ute with tiles and go and sell tiles. From running a business to going back to that was was enormous. He'd get up at four o'clock in the morning and drive to Swan Hill and sell pallets of tiles off the back of a tray ute and drive back at night time and and you know we saw him work like that which is that's where my work ethic came from and my understanding that money comes and money goes. And good times come and good times go. And so I'm never really confident that the business growth will continue. I'm always worried deep down in my gut that... Are you still worried or are you accepting that it's a cycle? Everything is a cycle. I accept that it's a cycle, but I won't lie to you. Every morning I wake up and I feel like I could vomit. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. And, and my brother said to me, and my brother's a huge mentor to me, he said, Kate, if you don't feel like you're vomiting, you're not giving it a red-hot go. And so, you know, I've, I've got a lot on the line. I've got 15 staff that they get paid before I do. And, you know, sometimes in the last six months, I haven't paid, in the last six years, I haven't paid myself for six months because my staff have had to be paid and I've had to ride this wave hoping it's going to come back. Other times I feel like the Queen of Sheba and, you know, I can do anything and go on holidays and buy new cars because you feel this you know huge success but because of my family history and living as a 13 year old through a recession and understanding what that meant for our family losing holiday houses losing boats losing cars you know the only thing my parents kept in in all of the peripheral things was our education and they worked so hard to keep that and my dad could have easily gone bankrupt like a lot of his friends and colleagues in Geelong did. They all went bankrupt bankrupt and, and their lives continued as they were. But my family paid back every single cent they owed. It took them years to do it. And to Dad's credit, that tenacity 
has led to the success, along with my brother being an incredible asset to the business, and he's certainly taken it to the next level, to building the business he has today, which is an amazing business. There is a perception, because you come from a wealthy background, things come easy to you. What I heard is a completely different story, um, and I'm not surprised. Because to be successful, you do need to have the skill. And skill comes with hardship. You have to overcome. And what I do want to come to is this amazing, and it's very important for a lot of people to understand, your decision to run without debt. Mm. A lot of people out there give up because they can't borrow money. Mm. They decided that's it, end of it. Tell me how can you just live and propel without any borrowing or backing behind? I was on a good income at National Tiles. And, however, when I left the business, I was in my worst financial position I've ever been in my life. And I had nothing. I had huge credit card debt. I had a home, but it was highly mortgaged. And my dad gave me some advice when I started, and he said, Whatever you do, don't borrow any money and don't give any credit. He said, because then you won't get yourself in trouble. The only person you can get in trouble is yourself, essentially. So I took that at face value because we work on contracts that can be one hundred, two hundred, three hundred, up to five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars. Now, as you know, a young woman running a business, the thought of someone not paying me $700,000, I need to sleep at night. I would lie awake, constantly worried about that. I mean, I don't sleep as it is. I sleep four hours now. I'm a bit of an insomniac. But if I had that worry, it would be horrific. So now my worry comes with cash flow uh, because as a business grows, it sucks up more money and more cash. So the more money we have made, we've had to reinvest that money back into the business. And so I've taken risks. And we've gone from around the dining table where there was essentially zero overheads to now 15 staff, which, you know, makes me feel a bit sick, to two beautifully connected spaces, which we've, um, which we've done in Mount Martha. So we've got a studio space and an HQ space, which was a few hundred thousand dollars. So I sucked the profit out of the business and put that back into, you know, into the business. It was scary, really scary. So your secret of running without backing of loans, borrowing, is you basically ask for prepayment in the contract. I, I always ask for prepayment because, you know, out of debt, out of danger, I say. And when you're dealing with big contracts, it's important for us. Well, it's twofold. Number one, I don't want to deliver product to site and the client lay it and say, oh, by the way, I don't have any money to pay for you. That would be disastrous. And some building companies and particularly developers are notorious for running a project, running that business into the ground and then starting again under a new entity and doing it all again. So that's not a very good way to do business and I didn't want to do business that way. The other thing that prepayment does, every time my client pays me, for example, a 50% deposit, I put that 50% deposit against the product. So I've created incredible relationships with my supply partners to make sure that I'm getting the best buying power 
and they know they're getting paid. So they'll bend over backwards for me. Like I'm like the ideal client for my supply partners. And, you know, we haven't talked about that side of the business, but, you know, I spend a lot of my time talking with supply partners, getting better product, better service, better prices. There's another lesson I learned. It's not what you sell a product for, it's what you buy it for. Because the market essentially sets the sale price, the expectation. But if I can buy it better and make money, more money that way and leverage it that way, I can offer my clients better prices than they would get in the marketplace. So the contract's a no-brainer. But secondarily, I can increase profits. So whilst Instagram and Facebook shows that I'm spending all of my time putting colours together, I'm actually a contract negotiator. And if you introduce me again... I would probably say that that's what I am. Like I'm an entrepreneur in the design industry that essentially is a contract negotiator because I buy and sell products. Ladies and gentlemen, today's podcast <laughs> is with Kate Walker, who is contract negotiator. <laughs> Sounds powerful, doesn't it? <laughs> and so I love nothing more than negotiating with the people that I negotiate with every day. And, you know, with our... Now our market presence, which was, again, employing another weakness, which was PR, a hugely brave step to, as a fledgling business, to spend all this money on PR. It was kind of a bit crazy and a bit out of balance. But what um, Melanie Quirk, my, my PR manager, has done is created the brand, which is KWD. Well, Carlo, the creative director, created the brand, but she has taken the brand to market. And now, like, we run a little showroom out the back of an arcade in the Mount Martha Village. Like, there's no through traffic. You don't, it's very much a destination store. And with the destination store, you need to let people know that you're there and let people know what you offer. So that's where the social media has come in. So, you know, Instagram, Facebook, blog posts. Um, so I've spent a lot on PR. Melanie's helped us get into magazines, you know, you know, even today, Melanie set this up for me to, to be able to get the huge word out. Huge move, huge move. <laughs> so to have that faith in yourself, to back yourself, to say, I can make this brand work, was a masterstroke because now people know about me. And then tell me about Bradbury Ride. You talked about a wild ride on a wild horse. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, running this business is seriously, for me, like if, if someone says, you know, what's it like owning a business? I say, it's not for the faint-hearted. They say, what do you mean? I say, well, every day I feel like I get on the back of a Brumby and I can't ride a horse with no saddle and no bridle. And I'm holding on for dear life because this... What are you holding to the ears or what? Or the mane or something, oh. whatever I can get. <laughs> uh, fistfuls of mane, I would say. But I was not expecting the growth. I was kind of happy as a single mum running my business from the kitchen table with a couple of admin support, having a very comfortable life for myself with my children. All I wanted was to own my home and take them overseas once a year and educate them well. And really, that's, that's what I want. But unfortunately, my DNA suggests that I have entrepreneurial blood running through my veins. And so you are possessed. You just, it takes correct. over. It comes at night, it takes over. It takes over. Yes, Princess Fiona. <laughs> <laughs> But then opportunities present themselves to me and 
I've, I've had to learn a really good lesson, and this is a self-taught lesson, that sometimes the best decisions you make are the ones you say no to. And for me, starting a business, I was saying yes to everything because you want cash flow and you want momentum. You want to work on every project. But I took on projects with clients I should never have taken on. I call it being a whore. First year, you're a whore. Yes. Have you got yes. a spouse? Yes. Come, be yes. my client. <laughs> Then we turn into madam of the very elite brothel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we need to go there, do we? No, you don't go there. You just use it and This keep is the going. time. Remember how Nadia said I'm here to kind of But, you know, I said yes to every single client and I've learned as I've matured that every time you say yes, you're saying no to other opportunities because of opportunity cost. So it takes every time. So I've taken on projects I should never have taken on and they've cost me a lot more than I thought and sometimes I think, gee, I'm paying these people to service these clients and I'm not making any money here. And let's face it, we're all in business to make money, um, to support our lifestyle. Terence told me on this one, you're saying yes to this one, what are you saying no to? Today? Like when you're making this decision, saying yes to something, what are you saying no to? Oh, you yeah, don't, it's, a, it's what I call a decision filter. Right. So it's like um, <laughs> when you look at, because the way that I see it, most entrepreneurs are afflicted with this, problem mm-hmm. where they're just there's too much opportunity they're almost immobilized by opportunity yes right and uh so they see opportunity everywhere and i i think probably uh, yeah, i think probably all three of us could mm-hmm. could could relate to this and probably most people listening could relate to it and you just see you look out there and you oh there's an opportunity over there, there's an opportunity and it's just which which opportunity can i take i want to take you know as many as i can mm-hmm. and you kind of try to scoop them all up and you can't you know you can't carry them all it's like trying to you know And and that's where I use my business mentors. And I've got uh, probably three business mentors. One in particular I speak to every single day. And he's 10 years ahead in business. He's been in business a lot longer than me. He's 10 years in age. And his advice to me always is, I I want you to avoid making the mistakes that I've made. He says, I'm just going to be tough with you and, and tell you as it is. And, you know, he's, he's taught me that sometimes the sweetest fish are the smallest. You know, you don't need to be taking on these big projects all the time. You need to have a life. You need to try and spend time with your kids and, and spend some time, you know, downtime. Like I've got chronic high blood pressure. I know why that is because I'm a workaholic and I'm high octane. You know, I'm dopamine-based and I've learned that from a trainer that he put me on to. It's very rare to find a dopamine-based woman. And that means, like, I, I just I go for it. I go for opportunities. I like, I'm goal-oriented. I like to achieve. And I'll often push my own health secondary. Even, you know, to, honestly, I, I put time with my kids secondary sometimes. I, I get conflicted with that all the time. You know, I, I work really hard. I come home. I bring work home. But I've combated that by... by um, You know, and, and scarily, I do run my home like a business in a way. You know, I have a housekeeper that makes sure we have everything that we need at all times and there's dinner on the table when I get home and the house is clean and there's schedules and, you know, strict routines. But I, I actually schedule in one-on-one time with my kids. 
Michael Carr Gregg, who works very closely with my father on on a foundation that, that Dad's running, um, has done research into the fact that you need to give children to feel loved, supported, and um, heard need eight minutes of one-on-one time a day. That's actually quite long when you think about it. With my head thinking of all of these things while I'm trying to look entertained with an 11-year-old's problems was really tough to begin with. But now I put the kids to bed, I lie on each bed for eight minutes and to begin with I had to time myself because eight minutes was like pulling teeth and now it comes naturally. A teenage boy lying on the bed looking up at the ceiling, no face-to-face confrontation, the conversation just flows. It's beautiful, thing. That's how I learned my son likes classical music and he hides it from his peers mm. because I would love it, I love it here. That's a beautiful moment. Mm. It, it is very special and I get to the core of their issues. We also, you know, I'm often eating dinner standing up because I'm ready for the, the next thing, which is not ideal. But we do this thing around our, our family table at night time, which is highlight, low light. And I figure if you know the worst thing that happened in their day and the best thing that happened in their day, you kind of understand. You've got a belts and braces approach to say, well, does this need attention or does that need celebration? And we sort of cut a lot of conversation quite succinctly and quite short to get to the crux of, of any major issues that could present themselves with teenagers, which they obviously do. It's beautiful. It's, it's wonderful um, how a very busy mom will find this place of comfort for her children. And you found it. This is where it balance. It's eight minutes of quality. Um, you can be a mom who just be completely absent and be physically with them all day, but not really. There. But do you know what the national average is? Like, oh, this is a question to you too. What the national average of uninterrupted, undivided attention to a child is? One minute. minute. So it's not unpacking the dishwasher while you're talking to them. It's not driving the car while you're talking to them. Uninterrupted, undivided attention. What the national average is? Yeah, I'm going two minutes. I'm just absolutely one. taking a guess. 17 seconds. 17 seconds? Oh, wow. How embarrassing. And that's where I was. I was that 17-second mum until that research was presented to me and I decided to change it. And I thought if I can do eight minutes, you know, I can find eight minutes in my day with the kids 100%. Interesting. Uh, look, I've got my – the thing that I do with that is I find things that uh, that I love doing with the kids and they love doing with me mm-hmm. and it's, it becomes really easy for me then to give – that undivided attention. Yeah. So my, uh, so, so for instance, my my youngest son is is into basketball right now. So you know I've started spending time with him and we play basketball. We do other things as well, but that's one activity that we would probably spend, you know, a good hour a week doing at, at some point in time. Beautiful. My youngest daughter has decided and probably decided when she was about four that she loves to sing, mm-hmm. and um, I'm slightly musical as well. So we'll we'll sit there and we'll we'll play music together and we'll and so so that there are our little things together. Beautiful. So I, I just I guess I've taken that you know that approach mm. to it and uh, that that kind of works for me. But I, I love the idea of just you know just just spending that uninterrupted focused time mm. is amazing. And we've got to I think it's really easy. We live in an, in the in an age of distraction. So we live everything that Facebook is built on distraction. Did I just say Facebook? I did. Social media 
is built on distraction. Mm. There's so many things around us that are built on distraction. And we, we sometimes just need to get back to, for me, that's, that's one thing I, I love to get back to, whether it's in the business, whether it's at home or whatever, that uninterrupted focus time is just mm. gold. Mm, and you know i've had so much guilt over parenting because i haven't been around in time whilst i'm on there for you know emotional physical financial support time is something that has been really short but it's been so interesting to watch my children learn from me from my actions rather than from words and we all learn from actions rather than words it's what you do not what you say and you know i've got one very entrepreneurial son and, you know, he will negotiate everything with me. And so I think he's going to be an asset to the business if he ever wanted to join. You know, he's got the gift. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he might fail maths at school, but when it comes to money, <laughs> he knows his numbers. He knows what's going on. So I think we're, we're I mean, you know, we're almost kind of going to wrap up, to be honest. But there was, there's one thing that... that you spoke about just a little bit earlier. I want to just go back to it. Your answer to uh, to not buying a job, right? Mm-hmm. You you kind of mentioned something about it, and I just want to kind of anyone listening who said, "Where's my answer?" <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Where's your answer for not buying a job? Yeah, for not. I mean, you, you said you know. Uh, I see a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners get into. I, I call them to begin with. You know, I've, I've got four levels, right? So I say, and, and most people that I work with are one of these levels of um, relationship with their business. Um, I've got the job owner mm-hmm. who just literally is, is exactly what you said. They, they own their own job. The opportunity owner who has all the opportunity out there doesn't really necessarily know how to go on, you know, what to do with the opportunities or which opportunities to take, which ones to say yes to, which ones to say no to. The business owner, which is where they're starting to develop some control and, you know, it's really an increase in, in, in the business development, the, the, the power of the business behind them. And then what I call the asset owner who are out there building, building real assets, you mm-hmm. know, which, which, is, which I think is a lot of people look at a business as, hey, it's a business, but I look at a business as an asset and I look at a lot of the things within the business as being an asset. So I'm wondering what your, your you know, what your take is on, on how you're, not just going out there every day building a job for yourself because that's easy to do um, and easy to fall into that trap. Well, very much so. And I keep questioning myself as to whether I can create scale in the business and that's where it becomes an asset. And obviously at the end of the day, I want to have a saleable asset. So, you know, I made initial mistakes by calling my business Kate Walker Design. So we've rebranded that to KWD and dropped the Kate Walker Design because I didn't want to be the asset i want the business to be the asset so you know i see a lot of small business where they are buying themselves a job and that's okay but that's not why i'm taking the risk of wages of 15 staff every monday because i don't do business for the exercise i do a business to get an edge and to build something that that's you know going to give my family stability well into retirement so it's been very difficult for me to work out how to scale it when I'm the creative and there's only so much I can give and working 70 hours a week is, is not ideal. So working more earned more money, but that was to the detriment of lifestyle, work-life balance, whatever that is. 
you will find out one day. I hope so. There's no um, such thing. So, <laughs> so I've decided strategically to create a whole other arm of the business to create this passive income. And we're about to launch a business called KWD & Co. We were going to be selling our products online because right now um, KWD, in essence, is only really affordable by high-income earners because our fees start at, say, for example, 15000 can end up being $90,000 for a house. Now, that's a lot for the average income earner. And so my goal is to bring interior design to the masses and that's where you get scale. So this KWD and Co business, which I'm, I'm hoping is going to fly, I'm putting a lot of work into it at the moment, is where we've set up a, a website where we've got these set design aesthetics according to KWD. And if you want, for example, a Hampton-style home, which is very popular at the moment, this is Hampton's according to KWD. These are all the products that you should that you should put into your home. Click on them and we'll deliver them. So hopefully we can have clients buying our products at 2 o'clock in the morning, at 3 o'clock in the morning, and that's where that passive income will come and that's where it goes from me buying myself a job to actually having an asset that's a saleable asset with obviously the branding that's gone behind it, with the, I guess, social awareness of who KWD is and, and what we do and the products and, and the projects that we put out there are all really well received by people. But the stumbling block to scale is affordability for clients and my time. So to be able to spend a lot of time in its infancy to put these schemes together, say the clients advice for free this is what hamptons looks like and these are the splashback tiles we think you should use this is a timber we think you should use that's basically kwd wrapped up in a box whilst not taking away from our premium brand um, and our bespoke service which a lot of people want still so you know there's nothing wrong with buying yourself a job there's nothing wrong with that but if you want a saleable asset at the end of the day you need to get that scale. And so that's what we're focusing our time and efforts on now. Okay. Cool. Scalable is saleable. Scalable is saleable. <laughs> Bit of poetry there to end the... Uh... <laughs> All right. So probably the last question, how can our listener connect with you and find you? Well, we're everywhere on social media. Sure. So Instagram is a great way to... You want to avoid Kate Walker, please don't go to Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> our LinkedIn... <laughs> so we have our website, which is katewalkerdesign.com.au. You can contact us via there with our email address, which is info at katewalkerdesign.com.au. We're on Instagram, which is at katewalker underscore design, and Facebook, we're katewalkerdesign. Okay. Well, thanks again for being our guest today. Thanks for being sure. so generous with your time and your knowledge, information. And I really appreciate it and I'm sure we'll be talking to you again in the very near future. I would love to. It was very heartfelt uh, discussion, actually. Thank you for being so sincere and so you. Thank you very much for having me. And we're definitely going to have that Friday night drink with your team. Yes. Am, I, am I invited? <laughs> I'm a working father. You can come. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not I've, a working I've got two working fathers on my team. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, you are invited. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Unfair Advantage Project. For more curated resources, visit us at unfairadvantageproject.com.